Welcome to A Disciple's Point of View, a podcast where we go over a variety of topics related to Christianity. Hello and welcome to this edition of Eternal Life 101. So today we're going to talk about Romans chapter 13. And I want to frame this in context, okay? So this is written to the Romans, right? This is to the church at Rome, the believers in Jesus Christ who came to faith that were in the capital city of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was brutal, right? It was it was just it was compared to the iron uh, legs of the um, uh, uh, prophecy in Daniel chapter two, right? It was ironically called the Iron Legion by the Romans themselves, right? They were brutal, brutal uh, people in this particular uh, empire. Not only that, but it was this rampant immorality. You have the Roman bathhouses, you know, that uh, to some degree pedophilia was a little bit acceptable and whatnot. It was just a very brutal, very immoral time to live, right? So that's the frame, that is the time, and that is the context in which Paul is writing this, right? And so it applies pretty much across the board throughout time as well. And it's going to be incredibly uh, significant in our current day and age with the trends that we see going on in our world right now, especially with the COVID-19 pandemic, depending on where you live in the world, right? The United States of America is a, a little bit varying uh, depending on which state you go to. I'm in Texas, which is largely pretty much open and free of any kind of mandates, whereas you have California and New York, which do have mandates and you do have to, I don't think, I don't know if they're in lockdown anymore, but then you have like Australia. I think they have a province called Victoria where they're really being draconian in their lockdowns and their COVID-19 protocols. So, right. So this has a broad application. And then Christians are like, well, to what degree do we obey the government? And do we just do what they say without even thinking about it because we're told in Romans 13 what to do? Or do we have an option to disobey in the eyes of the Lord? This is what we're going to talk about today. And that's the frame by which we're going to talk about these next few verses, right? So in verse one of chapter 13, it says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So this is basically saying that every single government in the world has been established by God himself. To some degree, this is right because I, I'm, I'm sorry, not to some degree, but in light of Bible prophecy, especially this is true because you have uh, nations that have to line up in a particular way and they have to be in a certain frame of mind for them to be able to act in a particular way. The best example I can think of is probably Ezekiel 38 and 39, the uh, latter days invasion of the land of Israel that is going to be headed by uh, areas identified as Russia, Turkey, and Iran. If those particular countries weren't necessarily of a particular way, if they had maybe say the ideals of the United States of America, where they don't necessarily just go invade countries, I know that could be debated, I'm sure, because of the last 20 years. But regardless, it's not necessarily a general rule of thumb that we just go anywhere and take whatever we want. Again, I know a lot of people might debate that, but as a general rule of thought, that's not necessarily what the United States does. It's not necessarily what China and Iran does at the same time, but we do know that they have 
very different philosophies and styles of government. Regardless, in verse 1, the Apostle Paul is telling us God has instituted these nations and these empires. And if you really think about it this way, you have the vision of the statue of Daniel chapter 2, which would outline the time that Jesus coined as the times of the Gentiles. Basically, it was going to be a picture of the dominion that Israel would end up being placed under. And I should say the kingdom of Judah, because by this time that uh, Daniel uh, got this vision, he is actually in the Babylonian captivity. And that was the southern kingdom that went into that captivity that only consist consisted of two of the 12 tribes of Israel. Some 200 years earlier, the 10 tribes to the north, when they had their kingdom over that 200-year period where they separated from Israel, actually they did not have one righteous king at all, so God scattered them to the four winds in fulfillment of Deuteronomy chapter 28 and also the prophecy in uh, Deuteronomy 29 about what he would do to the nation if they disobeyed him, right? So already we see that with uh, Daniel chapter 2, the statue was going to be indicative of those powers that would be over what existed and what was left of the nation of Israel, right? And at that point, it is believed that the, uh, the thighs and legs of iron represented Rome. They even called themselves the Iron Legion, right? So it's this thought and idea that God actually orchestrates these nations and these empires over specific periods of time to be able to fulfill Bible prophecy. But also in just, again, living quiet lives as far as it is concerned with ourselves, live at peace with everybody. I believe that's why he's saying what he's saying in verse 1 as well, to obey the government authorities. In verse 2, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So this always brings up a question, especially whenever you're talking about politics. Um, a lot of people believe, I shouldn't say a lot of people, but many people believe that the American Revolutionary War was went against God's word right? That it was wrong for the colonials to rebel against the King of England. I would agree with that. Technically speaking, I would. Uh, here's why. Because it is in direct violation with what the Apostle Paul is saying here. It doesn't say, um, you know, submit yourselves to the governing authorities so long as they are nice to you, or so long as they're not mistreating you, or so long as they're not violating your rights, or so long as they're not overtaxing you. It doesn't say that, right? But I've covered this before. So a lot of people within the Christian uh, community and Christian line of thought tend to believe in the permissive will of God and the perfect will of God. So the permissive will of God could be thought of as God will use the inclinations and sinful actions of particular people for his own good, for his own glory, right? So if, if there is a nation or if there is a group of people, the colonials, for example, that decide they're going to rebel against the king of England, we don't care, we want to have liberty, we want to live free lives, then God will utilize that for his purposes, right? And what has America become, or at least until recent times? We have become the big brother, if you will, of Israel, 
Israel became a nation again back in 1948, largely at the behest of the United States government after World War II, after the Holocaust. And the nation of Israel was born on May 14th, 1948. And America was the biggest proponent and big brother and supporter of the nation of Israel. So if we had not broken off from the King of England, if somehow we remain part of the British Empire or whatnot, we may not beca have become the nation that we became, the very Christian, the Judeo-Christian influenced nation that we are, realizing that Israel is the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And I've gone into that in another podcast. I'll save that for another time. But basically, if we had not done that in God's permissive will back in 1776, right? The Revolutionary War actually was fought, I think, from 1775 to 1783. And then we had our Constitution that was signed in 1787. Had we not done that, well, we wouldn't be the big brother to Israel we are now. But I believe we're starting to fade from it. And again, that's not really for this podcast. Regardless, that was just an illustration I was using to illustrate God's permissive will. God's perfect will is everybody who does exactly what God's word says, and they have the outcome that God has prepared for them, right? When can we ever violate this, though? I already talked about uh, God's permissive will, and that's God utilizing the sinful inclinations of people for his own purposes, for his own glory. But is there ever a time whenever God says you can disobey people or I'm sorry, you can disobey the governmental authorities when they tell you not to do something? Let's go over to Acts chapter five. We're going to start in verse 17 and a little bit of a backdrop is basically the uh, the religious authorities of the day who rejected Jesus as Messiah are trying to tell the apostles, stop teaching in this name, the name of Jesus, right? But basically, we're going to see what happens in response, right? So starting in verse 17, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him and were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. And let's back up a little bit, and we're going to get a little bit more context. Let's start in verse 12. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done amongst the people by the hands uh, of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of them, or I'm sorry, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on the cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing in the sick and afflicted and those with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. And then the high priest rose up and all who were with him, and they were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to them about all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent them to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words that were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came to them and said, look, the men that you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. 
Then the captains with the officers went and brought them, not with, uh, not by force, but they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Now we're going to get into the meat of the topic. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us? So, in essence, this is the religious authority that has been placed over the apostles at this time, right? These are the religious authorities. Jesus said, do what they say, but not do as they do. For basically, they they store up all of these rules and restrictions that they don't even keep themselves. Yet, because they sit in the seat of Moses, you should obey them, right? And that's what Jesus taught. Um, you could go read that in the Gospels. And then we have this teaching here in Romans 13 that we're to obey the governing authorities, right? We're to obey those who are in position over us. Verse 29 is the pivotal thing. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And he goes on and on and on. Basically, you are saying that we can't teach in the name of Jesus. But that is what we have been charged with by God himself. We can't disobey God. Judge between yourself whether it is right to obey God rather than men. And so this is one occasion where we could say that God will allow you to rebel against the governing authorities, because if they are telling you to go against the word of God, if they are telling you you can't obey this because we forbid it, then you're in the clear in terms of uh, your standing with God to be able to disobey those governing authorities. But by and large, you're supposed to obey the governing authorities. Because of verse 3, it says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger that carries out the wrath of God on the wrongdoer. So this also takes um, the pattern of... The Institute of Government that God gave back in Genesis chapter 9. After the flood, God says, If man sheds blood by a man, or I'm sorry, if a man sheds another man's blood by man, shall his blood be shed. That's a paraphrase, but it's the same idea. Basically, God instituted the death penalty to punish those who would commit the sin of murder. And at that point, it should be noted that the law of God had not yet been given. It's not until Exodus chapter 20 that is the following book of the Bible and is later on down the timeline that actually God gives that commandment. But yet it was already known back in Genesis, shoot, Genesis chapter four, whenever uh, Seth took the, the, the life of Abel, right? Or Cain, I'm sorry, Cain took the life of Abel. Yes. Uh, and... Obviously, within the context of that story, it was considered to be the wrong thing. So already men were led by conscience, right? But they knew that murder was wrong. And then God instituted the basic foundation of the Institute of Government. Now, I believe that's what Paul is talking about here. They don't hold a terror for those who have good conduct. Generally speaking, though, we don't necessarily see all governments that are benevolent, right? We do see for the most part within our Western world and whatnot that governments are generally good and fair to their citizens. And we've kind of demanded that America was the great experiment 
that a lot of other nations ended up emulating. Interestingly enough, the, the English uh, government kind of somewhat mirrors our own, right? It has elements that are obviously still remarkably different, but there are a lot of very similar characteristics. The idea of the citizens vote, the citizens kind of rule the country, even though in America, we are a representative republic. We're not a democracy kind of thing. So understandably, it's like there are governments in the world that are not necessarily good, but they still do have rules and whatnot that they do punish for bad conduct, right? In North Korea, right? Or China. China has a social uh, credit score where if you do certain things, if you if you say other various things, your credit score will go down and you won't have near as many privileges. But if you tow the party line and if you do what is right in their eyes, you're granted all sorts of privileges. You can travel, you can do all sorts of good things, right? Uh, but if you step out of line, then there is punishment for that. So it's the same idea too in North Korea, although it is incredibly more oppressive. Still, God's rule applies because he basically utilizes government to hold back the nature of how mankind really is. Because mankind left to himself won't end up doing remarkably huge and great things. I've even come across people who you know, are quote unquote good people who end up doing bad things whenever no one's looking. Right. So that's the idea of ethical conduct to do the right thing, even when no one is looking. But at the same time, we know that some people will still do bad things, even if they're considered good people. So that's why God has instituted the institution of government that we're talking about here. So in verse five, therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And for because of this, you also pay taxes and for the authorities or the ministers of God attending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So it's this idea that no matter how oppressive the government is or how much you don't like it, if they require you to pay taxes, then you're to pay your taxes as a Christian. You're not uh, exempt from paying what God has instituted and that these governors then give their full time to. So you could even lump police officers into this, into this institution of government that we should obey. And again, realistically, it just comes back to being a good aroma for Christ and being a good example for Christ. Because if you're a Christian, but you routinely uh, flout the authority of police officers and you routinely don't pay your taxes, that's not a good look, right? It doesn't necessarily set a good example for those who are not believers in Jesus Christ. They may go, well, he's just a hypocrite and he's a lawbreaker. So why would I want to follow that? Whereas if we live quiet lives in subjection to the governmental authorities and pay our taxes faithfully, well, they're going to say, you know, Joe is really a good citizen over there. I hear he's a Christian too. What is that about? What is this Christian thing about? It's an aroma, a pleasing aroma for Christ in essence. And I want to address this specifically too with the COVID-19 mandates that are going on in the world. There is currently a teaching, I've seen it on Twitter, and a lot of people do believe this in real life about the vaccines, right? I want to address this real quick because a lot of governments, even here in the United States, are trying to make them mandatory, right? That you don't have a choice in the matter. You will get this thing. Number one, 
it is not the mark of the beast. It's not. We are not in the tribulation period. The ending Christ has not even been revealed yet. Yeah, they're trying to make it to where you can't buy or sell without it. But that that is the only similarity there is, right? Not only that, but it's not even necessarily being touted that all across the entire world the same way. The mark of the beast will be all over the world. Everybody will get it or you will be killed. That is all across the world, carte blanche, under the rule of Antichrist during the tribulation period. They are not the same thing. Now, that having been said, is it creepy how governments are treating these vaccines? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I have a lot of problems with them just on the scientific side from the research that I have done. Right. But if you choose to get the vaccine, you've not sinned. You are not going to go to hell just simply for accepting the vaccine. You're maybe taking a risk of your health and whatnot. People have had adverse reactions and some have died just simply from the vaccine, right? But that is a personal choice and it doesn't affect your relationship with God whatsoever. I know that there are many pastors that have been vaccinated and whatnot. And that's probably a minus in the eyes of a lot of people. I've been seeing on Twitter that they are preparing to totally alter their entire lives because they have been mandated to get a vaccine uh, by their workplace and whatnot. That's your decision to make. Uh, but if the governmental authorities are mandating it, I mean, judge for yourself whether or not that it violates God's word or not if you refuse. If the government is mandating you go into full lockdown and you step outside, judge for not based on God's word, whether or not that you think that you should do that or not, right? I think you probably should. If the government mandates a vaccine, I'm not necessarily saying that I would be happy about it per se, but at the same time, it's what the government has mandated that we do. And based on God's word, and it is not a violation of God's word to take the vaccine, then you probably should take the vaccine or let your own conscience be your guide. I don't want to sit here and say that you should once a government tells you to or not. But at the same time, if the government is forcing you to and there's a criminal penalty, if you don't, well, then in light of Romans chapter 13, I'd say you need to go ahead and take it. Right. But again, there are many different things going on in the world in regard to the COVID-19 mandates. A lot of other churches all across the United States, you know, whenever there was mandated lockdowns in 2020, they complied. Even my own church did for a time just to try to protect the elderly population that is within our church, right? Um, to protect those that are mo more vulnerable. But as time went on and we realized exactly what we were dealing with, we started reopening and they had services that were... Uh, able to be streamed online and um they were basically encouraged that if you're hesitant about coming to church in big crowds maybe if you're kind of nervous about contracting this virus then go ahead and stay home and we'll try to fellowship with you in some other ways and whatnot maybe via the phone maybe via video conferencing or whatnot it's not quite the same thing but at least it's something right but this idea that churches need to absolutely carte blanche uh, follow what the Bible says in California, there were several churches that were mandated to close. But in line of uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, do not forsake the gathering together thereof, uh, but come together and encourage one another and all the more as the day approaches, right? Many of those churches took that as a command of God that basically we are supposed to meet together. We are supposed to do this. 
So they defied the government authorities and they won in the Supreme Court, right? The Supreme Court found that the state overreached in their authority and didn't have the right to keep them from expressing their religion freely in um, context to the First Amendment of the United States Constitution, right? So I could go on and on about this in regards to the COVID-19 mandates and a lot of pastors did quote Romans 13 as a template basically for saying we have to do everything the government tells us. Not necessarily, but for the most part, yes, they, they would be right, but not necessarily. Um, the governments of the United States, you know, are the, of those states rather, um, and even of Canada and other parts of the world, if they forbid churches from meeting together or having their church doors opened at all, I would say you might be on good ground to disobey the governing authorities at that point because they are basically telling you not to convene in the name of Jesus Christ, right? So anyway, like I said, I could go on and on about that, but I won't. I'm going to take this and end this here, and that's pretty much that. At this point in the podcast, I want to reach out to you. And if you have never done so, if you have never entered into a saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. All you need to do is believe. Believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God in the flesh. Believe in your heart that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. Confess him as Lord. And the Bible says that you will be saved if you do that. If you truly believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did exactly what he said he would do for you, you will be saved. It is simply that easy. A lot of people say prayer, prayer. And that's great to confess and put your mind and your heart and everything through a process, if you will, to be able to embody what's already taken place in your heart by simply saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. And now I confess you as Lord. Please take control of my life. And I want to follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. That's all you need to do. And your life will change. Your life will change, not necessarily materially, not necessarily in terms of the world, but your life will change as far as your relationship with God. And you can know for certain that you're saved. The apostle John wrote that when he was pinning first John, he says, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you can hope, not that you can wonder, but that you can know. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast.
I want to thank you so much for listening to my podcast today. If you'd like to get in touch with me for any reason, I have the links for the social networks that I am connected on in my bio for this podcast. I'm also available at Gmail at DisciplePOV, that's D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-P-O-V at gmail.com. If you have anything that you would like to convey to me, such as something you agree with, something you don't, or anything else, or if you did receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, I'd love to hear from you today and to assist you on your new eternal journey.